Um, so we're going to continue, as Dion was mentioning, our series this morning in Mark. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be in chapters 9 and 10. And just kind of looking back through and thinking about as I was preparing for this talk, uh, it really made me appreciate our, our speakers so far and, and how they've uh, presented this scripture to, <clears throat> excuse me, to us. I'm recovering from a sore throat, so that may happen a few times. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of information in two chapters in Mark, like enough where you could take those two chapters and spend weeks and weeks on all the different sections. And it's not easy to take all of that information and distill it down to a 30-ish minute talk. Um, and I think it's just a real testimony to the, uh, the depth of talented, really God-fearing, Jesus-loving people that we have in our body. And so, uh, you know, as you see those speakers, um, after they give a talk or maybe in the weeks following, uh, be sure to give them some encouragement uh, because, again, there's a, a lot that goes into pulling together a, a talk like this that, uh, especially, you know, when some of these folks are up here talking may seem a little easy to them, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. And so, yeah, I just thought I'd bring that to your attention. So uh, there's a Bible Project video on Mark. It kind of outlines Mark and breaks it down into three sections, chapters 1 through 8. Uh, which we've just come through. Uh, everyone is kind of blown away by Jesus, and they're asking this question, who is Jesus? So he comes on the scene, and he starts to turn everything upside down, uh, from the culture, cultural norms, from the things that people tend to expect from uh, religious leaders. He really starts to set things in motion that are completely different uh, than what they've seen before, and it really has people wondering, who is this man. And it really, it frustrates and upsets some people. Some people are obviously very glad about the message that he's bringing, um, but, but it leaves that question in chapters 1 through 8, uh, really kind of take a deep dive into that. Uh, chapters 9 and 10, which we're going to cover today, of the disciples who Jesus was really closest to, and whom Jesus spent the most of his earthly time with, are really struggling with what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. And so these are his people. These are the people that are closest to him. See him day in, day out. They hear what he says. They see how he acts. They, they know his mind inside and out. And they're struggling with this idea. And there's this shift happening in them from, from their flesh and what they desired in their flesh for him to be and, and who he really was. Okay? So, so pause for a second, place yourself in this scenario, and think about the same thing in your life. When you identify and see this man, Jesus, that you hear about, some of it's a lot of true information, some of it's distorted and twisted, but whatever, you kind of come to understand and know this story of Christ, and you have this idea in your heart of who he should be. And it takes time, I would say, arguably a lifetime, to fully try and come to understand who He is. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to confront the facts of who Jesus is, not who you think He is, not who you think He should be, not who people have told you He is, but based on the Scripture, who He really is? Are you, are you thinking that? Are you asking that to try and come closer and see who he is? The disciples had this idea that being a Jesus follower was about power and fame and importance. 
And again, I'd say you see that a lot today with people who are uh, trying to follow Christ. But Jesus teaches him that it's actually the opposite. That following Him is more like dying. Following Him is more like picking up an instrument of execution and carrying that every day through this life. That we're called to die to ourselves. We have a natural tendency to take ourselves and lift ourselves up to the highest position. We want everybody to see who we are, what we've accomplished, what we have. Look at Facebook, look at social media, you'll see this message over and over again. Look at what I have, look at what I do, look at this, look at that. And we lift ourselves up and Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be the servant of all. It means rejecting violence and pride and arrogance and embracing acts of service, humility and love, thinking about the people around you and how you can make their lives better. Not how they can make your life better, but how you can make their life better. That's what covenant is. Covenant marriage, covenant relationship, you know, covenant working. Whatever you look at, whatever you put your hands to in the name of Christ, it's about making something better for other people. Are you doing that? See, these are these tough questions we, we wrestle with, whether it's with our money or, or things that, uh, you know, our families, our children. You know, the things that we really stand behind. Are they lifting Christ up? Are they putting Him where He needs to be? You have to answer those questions. You have to challenge yourself with that. Rejecting violence and pride and arrogance and embracing acts of service. And so the rest of the book, um, the chapters 11 and following, uh, show how Jesus became the Messianic King. And so there's a lot in chapters 9 and 10. I mean, again, guys, we could spend weeks and weeks just on chapters 9 and 10. Beginning of chapter 9, there's the transfiguration. There's all kinds of information about that and things we could take out of that. Um, goes into causing little ones to stumble. There's like three sections on just discipleship and, and how to live your life for Christ. And that's just nine. Okay, Then you get into 10 and it talks about divorce talks about the little children. You know, there's that uh, story about the rich man and the invitation that Jesus gives to him. There's James and John arguing over, you know, who can be first and the best. And, you know, we could talk forever about that. And then there's Bartimaeus receiving sight. I mean, again, this, these chapters are rich, rich with content. And so go and read them. Go and let the Spirit minister to you as you think through them. Uh, look up resources to try and and, uh, and help you understand what's going on there. Um, I specifically was drawn to a story in chapter 9 where Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. And in my research, I have multiple commentaries I kind of look at and articles I look through. Uh, I found an article that really kind of stood out to me, and I wanted to use that as a basis to talk to you guys today about that. And so it's worth noting here, this is again kind of the second section in chapter 9. That first section is that, uh, that uh, section that talks about the transfiguration. And so it's worth noting that Jesus comes directly out of what was surely this amazing, very encouraging spiritual, uh, spiritually time with God on the mountain. Like he's, he's legit with God in the moment. And he comes out of that and he leaves that glory and he re-enters the everyday world of this human and demonic discord that's going on all around him. And I couldn't help but think just in that moment 
how similar that is to us. Theon, I think, touched on this some in his, um, in his welcome. That what we experience here on Sundays with this group of God-loving, like-minded, really Spirit-filled people, you know, we're all worshiping and vulnerable to the Holy Spirit living in and through each of us. And then we step out of those doors, right out of those doors, back into a world of chaos. And we have to figure out what is our role in that. There's unthinkable violence. We live in a world where there are daily atrocities being committed by humans against other humans. This is the world we live in. There's inexcusable greed. It's driven by the love of money and power. You can see it all around you. You don't have to look hard at all. And this is where we live, but remember, this is not our home. This is not what Christians call home. Our home is somewhere else. And so while we live in the midst of these things, we know that our home is an eternal one that we'll get to see at some point. And nonetheless, it it often leaves me wondering, where is God in the midst of all this chaos and suffering? And I'm sure many of you can can follow along with that thought process. And it certainly presents challenges to my faith and my belief that God is making all things new and that He's working out all things for the good of those who love Him. How can that be when you see storyline after storyline that seems to tell something different? So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do in some form or fashion, I'd like for you to open or or click open to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read verses 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. You know you're used to having an iPad when you're getting to the bottom of the page and you... (laughs) I I literally was... I started to do that. I was like, wrong device. Um, Yeah, so this man man, uh, finally gets to a a place where he says, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And so all followers of Jesus have both belief and unbelief. 
we have both faith and doubt present in us at the same time. And how can we not, right? We're human. It's, it's certainly understandable that, that we struggle with this. I think God understands that we struggle with this. We live in this fallen and deceitful world in which Satan is working constantly to try and derail our love for Christ. And guys, he's living and in, in doing his thing. So, I mean, he is on the prowl seeking to destroy. Don't, don't fall asleep on that one uh, because he is prowling. He is looking to destroy. And we don't talk about that a lot, but I think we see it a lot. I think we see it in our world. I think we see it in our community. And you have to be on the lookout for that. Don't fall asleep on that. And we each have these very unique life experiences that shape our view and understanding of life and therefore our understanding of who Christ is. There's these other examples in the, in the Scripture of, of really great people struggling with their faith. Remember Peter who walked out on the water in power. In the power of his belief, he walked on the water to see Jesus, only to start sinking once that unbelief set in. Remember Thomas, I will never believe, he said, without any kind of physical proof. Yet he stayed with the disciples until Jesus eventually appeared to him. And the Psalms are rich with authors who question and doubt, only to find hidden answers that lead to these bold statements of faith. Personally, I find faith in God fairly easy most of the time. But I certainly have my times and I confess this disbelief and doubt that I have. And I really wrestle, I have to wrestle to get back to a good place on that. But make no mistake, unbelief is a temptation for all believers. And we can add this to this long list of temptations that we're faced with. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's this temptation to not believe, but God provides a way for us. And again, I think you see this clearly in the Psalms as these writers kind of wrestle with this idea of understanding and seeing who God is. And the temptation to doubt is a dangerous one that can ultimately cause us to fall away from God. The Hebrew writer says in, in chapter 3 and verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. I'm sorry, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I've seen this happen. You've probably seen this happen. If you walk with God or do any kind of ministry for very long, you're going to see this happen. People who profess faith and they're living their faith. It's not a fake thing. You can see it living in them only to come along trials and, and troubles and suffering and ca that causes them to really doubt and have this unbelief that pulls them away. But just imagine for a second what this father must have endured. And so, some of us in here can imagine this. We've lived this and seen this. So he spent many years doing everything he could to help his son. You know, he had seizures, he couldn't talk. Surely this man and his wife had saved their child's life countless times. It said that the, the demon would throw him into fires and into the water. 
And just imagine what they lived with daily, wondering if they'll be able to save him the next time that this happens, the next time the demon tries to kill the boy. Probably thinking constantly of what would happen in the future someday when they're not around. Who's going to step in and take care of their son? You know, to say having a child with this condition would be emotionally excruciating would be a severe, severe understatement. So none of my kids are here this morning, so I thought I'd take the next little bit to tell you all about their sin and, and how we've suffered um, and how difficult it was on us as parents to have them. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm kidding for the most part. But every parent in here knows at least a little what this dad was feeling. Okay? You know, if you have kids of any age, you know the feeling of going between like wanting to kill them <laughs> and wanting to protect and save them. <laughs> you know, so it kind of all mixes in together. And parenting is really, really hard, even with the best, best kiddos. And surely this father had prayed for his son countless times with no visible results. He had asked and asked and begged and pleaded, and there was no answer Surely he had been to his pastor for counseling and help. Surely he had inquired with other spiritual leaders to exercise this demon. And then one day he hears about Jesus. Just imagine what he's thinking as a dad. That he hears about this man who's removing evil spirits. And his son who he loved so much, so dearly, has this evil spirit in him. And he hears this man, Jesus, he has power over demons. He's heard stories of him removing demons at least on three occasions. Those are just the ones that we've seen so far in the scripture. Surely there were others. And he thought, surely this man can cure my precious son. But he gets there and Jesus isn't there. And only his disciples are there. And they were equally as ineffective as everyone else who had tried before them. And so it's easy to see why this man was struggling with his faith. Can you understand that? Some of you can understand it, and you don't have kids. There are things in your life that you've taken to God over and over and over again, and nothing is changing. Nothing changes. And you're questioning, and you're shaking your hands to the sky, wondering, where is this God who supposedly loves us so much? And we're challenged with this. And this unbelief creeps in. You know it does. You feel this. You know this. We are this man. You know, his unbelief had roots in his unique experience. Now think of your unique experience. And those roots that go down in your life and hold firmly to the beliefs that you have. His fears and disappointments shaped his expectations as they do ours. We know this. We feel this. We understand this. We've been to Jesus countless times asking the same questions that he's asking. How many times have you prayed in your life only to feel that God wasn't listening or didn't care? How many times have you received others or, or seen others receiving blessings only to look around and wonder where yours are. Wonder where the things that you should have are, the things you're asking for. 
And so he was susceptible, as we all are, to losing his fight for faith based on what he was experiencing. And there's just no doubt that this man was full of doubt by the time he encountered Jesus, thinking, could he really heal my son? Does God really care about his people? Or is this all a sham? And you can see in his response, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I can only imagine how this was said through a veil of heavy tears and a voice full of frustration. If you can do anything. And I think many of us, maybe all in some way, have had and thought these same words. And so we might expect Jesus to respond gently, like he did with the leper. Remember in Mark 1, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, thank you. I'll try not to gross you guys out. <laughs> what if I just let it loose? Just. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Sounds very similar to what the other man said. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So Jesus, instead with this man who said, If you can, will you heal? Jesus responds with a rebuke and he says, If you can. All things are possible for anyone who believes. And you think, is this how Jesus feels about our unbelief? Where we are and the questions we ask and the frustrations we share. Throughout the Gospel, Jesus affirms those with faith and rebukes those who express doubt. The leper said, if you will, a statement of faith. There wasn't a if you can. It was a if you will. There was an assumption that he can. And it was a question of whether or not he will. You see what I'm saying there? And the father said, if you can. And there was this statement of disbelief wrapped up in that. So let's just take a, a quick time out here. <laughs> Why do you think are some reasons that God may not be answering our pleas for help? Just think about that for a second, and I'd like for maybe two or three people to share. What are some reasons that you think God may not be answering our pleas for help? What comes to mind? Not the right time? Okay, what do you mean by that? Okay, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah. Yeah, she's saying like, we pray for other people and things to change, but maybe God's doing something in them that requires something different. Scott? Yeah. Yeah. There's not one thing crazy about that. You, said, you started off by saying in a crazy way. There's, that's, I think that's it. I think that's it. Were you going to share? Hmm. Okay, sometime he's already answered it and seen something. Join, then we'll move on. Yeah, yeah. 
There's something different. And, and really, doesn't that what it comes back to is this idea of trust in our relationship that we trust? Because think about it, and again, parents will know this, and, and also children and young people will know this as you think about how your parents responded to you. My kids would ask for things sometime that I know were not good for them. Why, yeah, why would I give them that? Why would I give them that? I want what's best for them. I know better for them than what they do. And so it's important for me to do that. God is our loving Father. Take that illustration with me and times it by a gazillion. And you get close to understanding who God is and where His heart is. There is a bigger picture. I think that's what we're all ultimately saying, that if we zoom out, from our perspective, what we think, we might see what God is doing on a larger scale, but we get so focused in on what we think and what we want and how we feel and what we deserve. You know, all these things, it's like, what? I'm submitting to the Lordship of Christ. I'm saying Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm submitting to that Lordship. By submitting to that Lordship, I'm saying, Lord, do with me whatever you want. You... You want to wreck me? You want to take everything away? Praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes He gives, sometimes He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes He gives, sometimes He takes away. We say something very different. We start cursing the name of the Lord. We start doubting. That's our faith. Right? And it's so consistent in us. It doesn't make it any less frustrating. It doesn't make it any less challenging. But it might help us endure this suffering a little bit differently. I read in that article this statement that said, faith is the channel through which God's graces flow. Faith is the channel through which God's graces flow. Okay, so show me my picture up here. You guys might remember this. This image immediately came to my mind when, uh, <laughs> when I read that statement. You're like, what? This is a shipping channel. Yes, it is. But remember last year when that big boat got stuck up in the Suez Canal? That's the little circle up there. So you have all this stuff going on over here. And then kind of if you zoomed out, all this stuff going on over here. And there's ships over here that are trying to get through. And there's stuff over here that's trying to get back this direction. And this ship, like, <laughs> I'm a little nerdy about this stuff. But I, I watched like a recreation of it and, and, uh, and how it kind of the path that it took. And so it's like circling out here and then all of a sudden comes in and then veers off course and gets blocked. Like it blocked the whole thing. And it was blocked for six days, stuck for six days. But it backed up traffic and caused problems that linger to this day. And I just couldn't help but think in just a kind of a, a visual image of this idea. Faith is the channel through which God's graces flow. And our doubt and unbelief gets us stuck and backs up everything behind it. And so these blessings and these ideas and these things that God has for us are hanging out over here in the Gulf of Suez. And they want to get through, but they can't because our unbelief is blocking that channel. So it's just this idea that it inhibits the flow of God's graces. Listen to James chapter 1, 5-8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
So there's again is this, this rebuke, this gentle rebuke that Jesus brings to this father in the midst of his pain. He needed this merciful rebuke from Jesus. It was intended to expose the infection of his unbelief. Because if that infection goes untreated, what happens? It grows and causes bigger problems. And now our faith is in jeopardy. And he's not going to share in the Lord's blessings the way he could were his faith stronger. I think it's one reason that Jesus is called the great physician. He doesn't coddle doubt and unbelief, just like a good doctor does not make light of a bad infection. And the rebuke worked. Listen to what the man said. I believe. Help my unbelief. And just like Jesus pulling Peter out of the water and touching Thomas's hands into his wounds, he honored the father's faith and healed his son. And in closing, I'll just give you these thoughts that Jesus will help your unbelief also. And it starts with calling it out. Calling it out. It's doubt. It's unbelief. Take that to Him. Directly to Him. God, just like the man said, help my unbelief. You're struggling with something? Take it to Him. Talk to Him about it. There is nothing you can't bring to Him of what you're feeling. And what you're thinking. And, and be really honest about it with Him. Really pour, pour out what that looks like for you and the, the thoughts you're having and the feelings you're having. Take that to Him. Let Him help you with that. And the one thing I'd say here is don't mask your doubt and unbelief with excuses. Okay, there's plenty of reasons not to believe. Remember, Satan is really good at what he does. And then don't use sin to expound the problem with coping mechanisms and all the different ways that as humans we try and find ways to, to help us through those kind of tough conversations and situations. Ask Him to help you. Most of us don't receive because we don't ask. You have to know what you're asking for though. He's not just going to fix it. There's not going to be some flip of the switch, that all of a sudden everything's great and right where you want it to be. Oftentimes it's through our suffering that we're brought to a better understanding and knowledge of who He is. And this is the way that He helps you and it may take you to the darkest corners of your faith. But what you'll come back from is something beautiful. And the discipline that it includes will be helpful for you. It'll be good for you. And just like a kid doesn't always understand why they're getting the spank that they're getting, uh, the discipline is right and good for them. Galatians 6.9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And that's faith, guys. That's, what we're, that's this, this battle that we're stepping through day by day that we're trying to live in. And finally, just remember that you were never promised an easy life. You know, I, I, I had like this preacher moment where I was like, okay, at the start of my sermon, I'm going to ask somebody who really knows the Bible, okay, I want you to be looking for the verse that says you're going to have a really easy life, and then here I'll just hit them with it. You know, they couldn't find anything. So anyway, that's just one of my dumb, dumb moments. But anyway, don't be surprised by the difficulties, okay? We weren't promised an easy life. Oftentimes when I go to God in prayer and ask Him for things, I start by saying, God, You don't owe me anything. 
I want to put myself in the right position, in the right posture before I come to him. I want to say, God, you owe me nothing. If you don't answer this, that's your deal, okay? I'm going to ask, but just know, I don't feel like you owe me anything, okay? Remember that, guys. We are his creation. Embrace these difficulties that come along. Take the leper's approach, if you will. If you will. We know you can, we know you can, but if you will, and then trust in the promises that drew you to Jesus in the first place, they haven't changed. They never will. It's our weaknesses that cast them in a different light. So trust in those promises and know that he's going to take you to a better place. And it may be through a difficult path, but it doesn't mean he doesn't care. It means that he cares and that he loves you. And try and take that approach, that leper's approach, if you will. You guys pray with me and we'll wrap up. Uh, God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the, the way that it, it moves us and, and teaches us about your goodness and your love for us. I want to pray that as a body, we can be uh, people who are pursuing this kind of faith. That we, that we trust and we know that you're moving, that you're there, that, and that you're working, even when we may not agree or understand. Um, please, God, discipline us in your mercy uh, like Jesus did this, Father. Rebuke us uh, so that we may know you better and strengthen our faith. God, uh, we love you. You're, you're amazing. I pray that our lives can be a reflection of your goodness to a lost and hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.